Wow, it is good to be back in person. I haven't preached in front of real people for over two years. So I want to thank you for coming. I hate preaching in front of camera. It's so strange. So thank you for coming. Uh, don't worry, I know it's hot, so I'm going to keep it short. I don't want to cause you to faint, and I want to encourage you to come back next week. And I want to encourage people who are watching to come back next week. So I'm going to keep it short, only 30 minutes. I can't concentrate after 30 minutes in this heat anyway, so I'm going to keep it short. Today we are going over our sermon series on knowing God. And our series is mostly based on Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7. When Moses asked God to see his glory, God proclaimed his glorious character to him. And he says this to him, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving inequity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Today we will only focus on the glory of God's love. There are a lot of misconceptions about God's love. To most people, especially if they are from Western societies, even if they don't believe our one true God, they believe in a higher being. And this higher being is just love, full of love and nothing else. He never judges. He never cracks. No matter what we do, no matter what evil we do. They do not believe that he is righteous as he reveals himself through the conscience. To them, God's love is a spoiling love. His job is to agree with us, to support us, whatever we want to do. He is a divine Santa Claus, and his job is to fulfill all our wishes and dreams. That is an idol that's created by the evil human heart. It is a distortion of God's true love. It is a confusion of God's true love. Now, what happens when we are confused about God's love? Well, what happens is that we are confused also about how we ought to love each other. We don't know how to love with each other. We are confused about love between husbands and wives, parents and children, between friends. There's misery, divorces, there's sadness, brokenness, regret. And to the world, the basic idea of love is getting, taking things from other people. It's a self-centered love. It's a selfish love. And these things are manifested in ways that are criminal and non-criminal. People want things, and they will take things from others at other people's expense. But other times, it's manifested in ways that are not criminal in the eyes of the court, but it's still devastating. It causes misery, separation, regret, hatred, lust, jealousy. These things have no place in God's kingdom. They are criminal according to God's eyes. 
That's the essence of world's love, is to take things, get things from other people. And we do this all the time. People marry each other for selfish reasons. When people say, I love you, they actually mean, I love myself. Because when they say, I love you, they're saying, I love you because you bring me happiness. You bring me uh, sex, money, power, status, whatever. But once you stop bringing that happiness to me, I'm going to divorce you. That is, that is the essence of world's love, is taking things from others for themselves, is a worship of themselves. There's a lot of confusion about God's love and our love with each other. Now, is God confused about love? Does he know what true love is? Yes, he does. He knows what true love is. 1 John 4.16 says that God is love. He does not become love. He is love. He is love from the very beginning, from eternal, eternity past. That is who he is by nature. He's not confused about love. He knows love from eternity past. He is the standard of love, and he has created us to love the way he loves. And God's love is based on his self-giving love within the Trinity. It's the opposite of the world's love. It's not about taking things and getting things from other people. It's about the self-giving love, giving the fullness of himself to others. Now, I know that Trinity is a difficult doctrine to understand completely. Our brain hurts when we try to understand it completely. But it makes sense that it doesn't make sense. God is the creator. He's different from us in many ways. If he's completely same with us, then he will be part of the creation. He's not a creator. And if we totally understand him, then we will be omniscient like God. So it makes sense that it doesn't make sense. The Trinity is revealed in the Bible, and we accept it by faith. But the good thing about the Trinity is that, about all God's mystery, is that even though we don't understand the mystery completely, we understand that it must be true for the Bible to be true and for life to make sense. The Bible clearly revealed the Trinity to us, and if we don't believe in it, it makes no sense. And only the Trinity can explain that God is love. He does not become love. He is love from eternity past. If there's no multiple, multiple persons within the one Godhead, then God is not love because love needs another person. Love needs another person. If there's only, if there's only one person in the one divine nature, like the Islamic God, then God is not love. He becomes love. He does not know love until he created human beings. He's lonely. He needs us. And so that means he's confused about love. We have to teach him how to love. But we are all, all confused. There are tons of songs and movies about what is love, what is love. So we're confused about love. God's confused about love. Everybody is confused by love. 
That's what happens if there's only one God in the one divine nature. But our God is not like that. Our glorious triune God is love. He knows love, and he is a standard of love. And the greatness of God's love as revealed in the Trinity is God's self-giving love. It's a love that wants to share himself. It's the opposite of world's love. It's not about taking things from us. He doesn't need anything from us. It's not about getting things from us. It's about sharing the fullness of himself with us. And we can see the self-giving love of God in Jesus' prayer to the Father in John 17, verse 26. Jesus says to the Father, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And when Jesus says he's make, he has made known God's name, it does not mean he has made known the name Yahweh in the Bible. That's already in the Old Testament. Name is referring to a person, who the person is, his character, his nature. What Jesus is saying is that he has revealed the full nature, the full character of God's love, his righteousness, and his truth to his disciples. And when the disciples saw that, they were amazed by it, they enjoyed it, and they imitate that love. And the result is that God's love, the Father's love, the same love that he has for the Son is given to the disciples. Jesus' mission is so that he can share the Father's love for him with all of us. That is the glory of God's self-giving love. And it's the opposite of the world's love. Humans are born selfish, self-centered, self-focused. It's about taking things and keeping it all for ourselves. And if you, know, if you have kids, you know this, particularly if they are younger. I have a three-year-old, and she loves it when I play with her. But when I try to play with her siblings, she gets mad, and she will say, No, my daddy, my daddy. You know, it's, it's cute, but it's not good. It proves my point that we're born with selfish, self-focused love. It's the opposite of Jesus' love. He wants to share the Father's love with us, not to keep it all for himself. The world is confused about love, but God is not confused. He knows what love is, and this is true love. True love is God giving himself, sharing himself, his fullness with others so that they may know, enjoy, imitate, and participate in the divine love that exists in the Trinity. And now God's self-glorious love is big and beautiful. It has so many facets. It's like a big, beautiful diamond that has so many facets. God's self-giving love is faithful, gracious, humble, joyful, affectionate, 
uniting, peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, unconditional, effective, and righteous. Now, brothers, John and Jonathan preached about God's patient and gracious love a few weeks ago. And today, I'm going to just give you a quick tour of his other facets of love. And the best way to understand God's love in all its facets is to, is to see how God accomplishes his redemption plan and how he, how he interacts with people. So I'm going to give you a quick tour of redemption history. It's going to be a fast tour. Don't worry, it's just going to be half hour, okay? Uh, we're not going to get into all the details, so buckle up and enjoy the ride. So in the beginning, God does not lack anything. He's perfect. But because of the nature of his self-giving love, he wants to create human beings to share the fullness of his love for others. That's the purpose for him to create the world. So he created Adam and Eve and gave them free choice, free will, because there's no true love without free will. They are... They are given the choice to love him or not. But they rebelled against God. They distrusted his love. They rejected his love. They seized autonomy and wanted to love the way they want to love. So they became ruined. They became tainted with sin, with selfishness. And everybody who has ever been born after them are born in the image of Adam and Eve. We inherit their sinful, selfish nature. And because of that, we create hellish things on earth. But God still loves these rebels. Psalm 145, verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. God has given some love to these rebels only in the form of basic provision, basic enjoyment in life. He is still kind to these rebels. Kindness means doing good, doing action, performing actions that will benefit other people. He was, he's kind to them. Matthew 5.45 says, God sends the ring on the just and the unjust. But the fullness of his presence and his love is not given to these rebels. But God is still on a mission to share the fullness of his love with his creation. God does not owe any sinners his complete love. He does not owe the love that he has for his son to all the sinners, to all these rebels. It's unconditional is gracious, is not based on the greatness or the loveliness of these rebels. As we saw, as we sing, we were his enemies. We do not deserve it. It is based purely from his nature, his nature of self-giving love. That is why he still wants to move to show his creation his full love. When God sovereignly chose Israel, it was not conditioned 
It's not based upon their greatness or their loveliness. It was purely based on God's self-giving love. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 to 8 says that, God says to Israel, It was not because you were more a number than any people that the Lord sent his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it's because the Lord loves you. It's, that is out of his nature of his self-giving love and is keeping the oath that he swore to, his, to your fathers. God's love is undeserving, is gracious, is unconditional. And God's love is also wide and generous. He doesn't just want to share his self-giving love to just one group of people or one nation, Israel. His plan is share his full love to everyone from every tribe, every nation, every language. His self-giving love is wide and generous. And he actually makes it happen. He doesn't just invite sinners to come to him. He makes it happen. Because if only sinners are invited, guess what? No one's going to come. <laughs> We're born selfish. We hate God. We don't want to be told that our lifestyle is sinful. That hurts our pride. We don't want to give up our sinful desires. So God actually makes it happen. He actually grants repentance and faith in these sinners. God's love is powerful, is effective, is greater than our sins. And when we pray persistently for other people to be saved, God is gracious to answer our prayers. And for these sinners to enjoy God's love, it is conditional upon their repentance and faith. It is not unconditional is conditional upon their faith and repentance. And when they repent and put their faith in God, they get to experience God's love, worship God, and begin, begin to imitate God's love and his righteousness. And then God invites these redeemed sinners to invite other sinners to worship him. And in the process of fulfilling his redemption plan, God is also faithful to individuals, even though they may sometimes be unfaithful sin, just like David, who committed adultery and murder. God's faithful to forgive, to cleanse them. God's love is faithful. And throughout the Old Testament, God has promised and prophesied that he will send the Messiah, the divine Messiah, who will accomplish his mission to spread his, the fullness of his love to the world. And God was faithful to that. He sent his son 2,000 years ago who came and died for our sins. And Jesus is the ultimate display of God's love for us. Before Jesus came, we could see that God's love is kind, but we couldn't see that his love is sacrificial. We, I can be kind to other people. I can give some money to a beggar, but that's just kindness. It's not sacrificial. But through Jesus, we see that God's love is a sacrificial kindness. It is a 
love that is beyond our imagination, beyond what we can think. Jesus has sacrificed more than any person in the world. He has left his glory, his throne in heaven to come down, to live a lifestyle of a poor man, and to be born in a stinky animal barn. He wasn't born and raised in a beautiful palace. You know, if we ever give up anything for Christ, it's just earthly glories. It's not, earth, it's not heavenly glories. It's nothing compared to what Christ has sacrificed for us. And Christ, when he came down, he also sacrificed the exercise of his divine power. He did not stop being God, but he gave up the right to exercise his omnipotence. He could have killed all his enemies with a snap of his finger, but he chose to not use that and let his enemies to kill him instead. That is sacrificial. We, don't need, we have never given up any divine powers. Our sacrifice to, compared to Christ is nothing. And finally, he sacrificially suffered the agony of the crucifixion, the most horrific torture that mankind has ever invented at that time. It was so bad that Roman citizens were exempt from it. It is painful. He has sacrificed about all that we can imagine. His sacrifice is incomparable. It's extraordinary. Whatever we sacrifice is nothing compared to what Christ has sacrificed for us. So in Christ, we see his sacrificial love, his sacrificial kindness. And this is the kindness that saved us from hell. And this is the kindness that ought to amaze us, that satisfy our souls. And this is the kind of love that we ought to imitate. Jesus wants us to imitate his sacrificial love. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus gave a new commandment to his disciples. And he says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, how did Jesus love us? He loves us sacrificially. So we are to love others sacrificially like Christ. And God invites us to do that. He wants us to imitate and enjoy his love. Second Peter 1 4 says, He has granted to his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. See, it's a privilege. It's God's goal that we participate, imitate his divine love. And we ought to have the greatest joy from that imitation. The apostles were so blown away by the sacrificial love of Christ that they want to imitate him. And that gave them the highest joy. And even if they had to suffer for that, they were still joyful. In Acts 5.41, it says that disciples 
were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name, to suffer for his name. <clears throat> to the world, this is crazy. How can you be happy when you're suffering? But to the apostles, that's not crazy because that's the power and motivation for their life. They were satisfied in the love of Christ, and they want to imitate that. They live out of their satisfaction. They want to make people know Christ and worship him. And if they have to suffer for it, it's all worth it. This is why the prosperity gospel is so evil. It teaches us to love like the world, to use God to take things, to get things from him for their own selfish desires. It's the opposite of the self-giving love of Christ. They do not teach us to love Christ. They do not teach us to love others like Christ loves us. This is why it's so evil. It's outside of God's love. Our brothers and sisters, you know, I love you guys. And I pray that you will love like Christ, not like the world. And I know that we can always grow in our sacrificial life. There's always room for growth. So we should encourage one another to love more sacrificially for the Lord. We should encourage each other to walk in a manner that's worthy of his sacrificial love. So I want to ask you this morning, are you amazed by the sacrificial love of Christ for you? Do you enjoy that? And are you imitating that love? Or has your heart become dull? And I pray that if it has become dull, that the Holy Spirit will work in your heart. And that today you will make it a priority. Go home and get right with God. Be amazed by his love for you. Don't be deceived by worldly love. It's tempting to be selfish and do whatever we want. But the way of that is death and misery. And I know that from personal experience, it's tempting to just do whatever you want. If you, if, when I do that, when I think like that, it's sin deceiving me. And at the end of that role, all it brings me is frustration, anger, bitterness. It causes relational hell with other people. It causes sadness and regret. Don't follow that. But if we follow the sacrificial love of Christ, the result is love and joy with God and with others. So our mindset with our wives should not be, well, our spouses should not be, how can I get my spouse to do what I want so I can be satisfied? Our mindset should be, how can I get myself so that my spouse will know God's love more, enjoy God's love more, imitate his love more, and glorify him more. And the same, true, the same thing is true for our kids. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, now, if I do that kind of love, everybody's going to take advantage of me. People are going to ask me to do things, and I have to do them. <laughs> no, that's not true. God's love is also a righteous love. His love is not intended to spoil us 
but to make us like him, to be holy, righteous, self-giving. And when we teach our kids, when we love our kids, we don't just love them with kindness. We also love them by teaching them the gospel, apply the gospel to their lives, remind them that God's sacrificial life, his love saved them. They ought to be amazed by that, imitate that, and encourage them to follow you as you sacrificially follow Christ. And if your love does not demonstrate sacrificial love, then by God's grace, change that so they can follow you as you follow Christ. Our job, our purpose in life is not so that we can live the most comfortable life. Our goal in life, our joy in life is to live sacrificially out of our joy for God. If you are too comfortable in your life, maybe it's, it's time for you to live sacrificially for God. If you're on a beach all day for many months, it's time for you, for you to stop your vacation. Now, of course, it's good to take breaks and rest. I'm not saying that. That's good. That's God's will for us. But if you're just playing games all day and surfing the net all day for your own comfort and pleasure, then it's a stop. You need to stop. Live a life that's worthy of his love. Jesus' sacrificial love save us. We ought to worship him and imitate his love. And this is true love. God's true love is that he gives the fullness of himself so that others may participate in his love. And we humans, as we, we are created as image, we ought to love the way he loves. So for us, true love is giving ourselves so that others may know God, enjoy God, imitate God, and participate in the love of God. And this is all worth it. Even if we have to suffer, it is all worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your glorious love. Father, we know that we fall short, all of us. But I pray that through this message, through your word, your spirit will remind us to do better, to love sacrificially like you, to have this power and motivation that comes from our love and enjoyment of your love and to imitate your love. I pray that you will bless all the brothers and sisters here, that they may honor and glorify you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.